Fang gang going crypto? Can Coinbase survive off dust coins? Can we really control AI? Is the new tax coming for your gains? Our mission is to bring together the best venture capitalists to compete so you have the insights on how to invest with the best. Now let's meet our venture capitalist jumping in the Thunderdome. Sarah Fay Glasswig Ventures runs a $112 million fund, the largest AI-focused debut fund on the East Coast. Also a committee member of the Boston chapter of All Rays. Richard Delude, founding partner at Underscore Ventures, former freestylist on the US ski team, runs a $225 million fund supports founders from the earliest stages. Daniel Achongpong, Visible Hands Venture Capital, a 14-week fellowship program supporting overlooked talent and investing up to $200,000. Stash Pometra, Remus Capital, an early-stage venture capital firm investing companies enabling digital transformation and also an engineering MIT grad. It's a primetime Boston battleground with four VCs in another round. It's about to go down. Tesla crushed its first quarter earnings report along with seeing its Bitcoin position increase by a billion dollars over the last 90 days. Will we see Fang stocks follow Elon in making big purchases of crypto? Richard, please kick us yeah, off. Yeah, why, why wouldn't you? I would say, you know, I mean, might as well, you know, speculate on some highly uh, volatile assets and hopefully make more on that than you would in selling any cars. Uh, so, you know, if I look at the Fang stocks, I think a lot more are going to consider it. I don't think the Fang stocks will do it, but more and more financial companies, I think, are going to look at the balance sheet and say, if it's big enough, maybe we take a little allocation put a little bit into that. Uh, and I think, you know, you're gonna see more and more companies also making revenue in the form of crypto, right? Sell a car, take your crypto, a lot easier than going to the board and saying, I wanna take treasury and put it into speculative assets. Right, more and more companies definitely will be involved. Sarah, your thoughts on the FANG stocks getting involved with uh, Bitcoin, crypto? Any one of the FANG stocks getting into Bitcoin could push it over 100K. And I think it's likely my bet would be on Facebook, which has already developed its own cryptocurrency, but it's been criticized for DM. Um, and some people speculate that Facebook might make a play in Bitcoin to give it more credibility and help them move more quickly in the space. We also do see Amazon hiring a lot of blockchain developers and uh, they could be a next one to make a move to. Yeah, and Diem was formerly known as Libra, which potentially could be launching at the end of the year. Also, Amazon rumored to accept Dogecoin. It might be just a rumor that I made up, who knows? But we're gonna get over to Daniel. Your thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, with Tesla investing about a billion and a half into, into Bitcoin, you know, if you think about it, Tesla has $19, $19 billion in cash or in cash equivalent. So that's about, eight percent or so and if you think about that in, in in terms of you know fractions that's one twelfth so imagine a month worth of cash right with tesla taking that into an investment that's a significant investment um for tesla taking that lead so you know with if you look at the fang stocks with the exception of netflix they all have about 60 billion dollars plus of of cash 
So this is a great opportunity for them to go into the space. They're probably not going to do it to the same level of Tesla, but we're going to see more, more, more kind of introduction into the spaces with the other FANG companies. Yeah, absolutely. Tesla sold 10% of their Bitcoin to prove its liquidity versus cash, to be noted. Stash, your thoughts on this? I think everyone here is in fantasy land, to be quite honest. I mean, if we look at Tesla as a comp, I mean, they lost $200 billion in market cap and 25% since their Bitcoin investment. Um, and for Tesla, I mean, they saw a large pullback from institutions when they made that investment, which is fine for them since they're, they're branded as a meme stock, right? So you have a lot of retail volume. That's less okay for more traditional equities that hold up 15% of the S&P. You know, tying those, their treasuries directly to Bitcoin volatility. I mean, volatile equities now exposed to volatile assets is kind of like velocity squared in a sense. So I don't think that's the kind of leverage we want in public markets, especially. We got Sarah raising her eyebrows. So uh, did you want to come back to that, Sarah? I just would say never say never. I mean, the, the cryptocurrency uh, market has just begun. And I think that these guys are going to find ways to play because they see it as an opportunity, not just for, uh, for their stock, but in all kinds of ways of doing business. Hot sectors brought to you by First Republic Bank. What is the hottest trending sector that you think investors should be placing bets on? Daniel, fire us up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we started with talking about cryptocurrency. So I, I do think that digital currency and just generally fintech is gonna be, is an important and hot sector. We're gonna see more capital be important too. For me, in fact, with my team at Visible Hand, something that I find really interesting is looking at how to provide creative solutions for the unbanked and underbanked, which makes up about 20% of the U.S. population. So we're seeing some interesting development going through there with companies such as Tank, App, Mochafi. But that's what I see really a lot of capital that's going to be poured into um, for the next quarter or so. Fintech and crypto banking, that's all solid right there. We're going to go over to Richard. Your thoughts on how to sectors? Sure. Yeah, I would uh, make a bet against uh, DeFi. I think it's going to be one of the most interesting thing. You know, we're talking, Daniel was talking about fintech. I think fintech looks like a cute little UI wrapper when it comes to what DeFi is. Uh, which is a new open global financial system. We're talking a couple of people in a dorm room can launch a global money market protocol. We're talking massive, massive markets. Uh, and so, yeah, I would say that's right. $65 billion market opportunity now. I think five years, we're at a trillion. 10 years, we're at 5 trillion. And we're talking all stocks on blockchain. So I think it's going to be a big area. Coming after Daniel right there. We're going to get back to you, Daniel. But Stash, what is the hottest sector? Yeah, man, I mean, I think what's hard is that by definition, and, and this question is asking about capital allocation and, you know, by definition, hot sectors are overbought. So I, I would kind of switch it up a bit. I would not really want to allocate capital, especially from a, you know, early stage fund standpoint into a lot of these really hot overbought sectors, crypto, DeFi. I think there's going to be broad pullbacks. A space that I like more is probably voice, um, a space that we've already seen boom a ton in uh, East Asian markets. Um, both voice on the consumer and, and enterprise side. Yeah, obviously have Clubhouse, you have uh, Twitter Spaces making a run. I'll sh shout out Ents too, Ikram, uh, Venmo co-founder uh, started Ents. But Sarah, what, you, what is uh, your hot sector here? So uh, Glasswing is an investor in AI, so we're betting on the data economy. Um, the data monetization market is expected to be a $700 billion marketplace by 2025. 
We've got a play in a company called Narrative that is developing a new uh, kind of data exchange that makes uh, buying data in real time possible, the exact data that you're looking for. But there's been a tsunami of data created, uh, more than 40 trillion gigabytes of data in this world, 90% uh, of which has been created in the last two years. So there are myriad technologies to help organizations manage the challenge and the opportunity of storing, organizing, managing, monetizing, um, and yeah. deploying data in algorithms. Data is the future, absolutely. I'm gonna bring it back to Daniel because Richard uh, gave him a little jab there. Uh, Daniel, do you want to uh, rebuttal? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, Richard is not seeing an opportunity uh, with, with, fintech, with, with FinTech. Uh, it's, it's, such, it's a huge market and I think that is gonna continue growing. In fact, we are talking about currency right now, right? We, that's what we started the conversation with. So it just shows the, the virtual um, impact of it. And the, specifically what I mentioned was the underbanked and unbanked, that is hugely untapped. Uh, and that makes up about you know a fifth of the US population and we're seeing more opportunities coming into that space. So Richard, I'm coming after you. <laughs> Come on. We're excited to announce our partnership with M1 Finance in creating the Primetime Portfolio. We're taking the insights from our VCs to buy stocks using the M1 Finance Super App. We're inviting you to download the app, the link below to invest alongside us. All gains from these investments will be donated to the nonprofit Girls Who Code. Download the app and let's make some money for a good cause. It's been said Coinbase is only good for Bitcoin and Ethereum while every other crypto is a dust coin or worthless. If that's true, how valuable can Coinbase really be and what's the future of the platform? Stash, drop some gems for yeah, us. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, what's hard about Coinbase is that is how much they're overexposed to crypto as an asset class um, and how much like their core thesis as a business is tied to not only um, Bitcoin and Ethereum sentiment, but also a lot of these altcoins. You have, you have Polkadot, um, you have multiple altcoins, you know, trading at, you know, 30, 40 bucks a share up like 2000% from, from this year. Um, and, and that's hard because it is a lot of uncertainty. So I would be a bit cautious when it comes to all of the super bullish Coinbase sentiment. Um, I think the public markets have reacted a bit to that, um, you know, since they're listing, but I mean, we'll, we'll see in this next year. Right. Coinbase reached a high at 429. It's settled down a little bit now. Uh, Daniel, your thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, I agree with what Stash is saying. Um, but the interesting thing is that Coinbase has a user base of 60 million people. That's a lot of people with a market cap of 90 billion. So, you know, I, I agree that there is some level of, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a bubble sentiment. But it's still overall, when we think about crypto, it is at the early stages of development. When we, if we compare that to, you know, as akin to the, the internet, when it was developed in the 60s, nobody knew what was going to happen to it. And then in the 80s, we had we had kind of the, the network effect of computerization. And then now all the foundations of tech is built on the Internet. So that's akin to crypto and uh, what we're going to be seeing in the future. Good points, good points. Sarah, bringing it back to you. Over yeah, here. I would say we are in the first inning of the first game of the cryptocurrency season. And it's a little early to be calling Coinbase's success or failure based on what they're doing with the two main cryptocurrencies, which, yes, are Bitcoin and Ethereum. And yes, there could be some short term vo volatility. But long term, I mean, there are more than 50 cryptocurrencies out there, any which of any one of which could 
break out. There could be more developments, um, new marketplaces, possibly the NFT marketplaces, and we don't even know what else. I think that Coinbase's uh, future is, is depends on their ability to capitalize on a very fast growing and fast changing marketplace. All right, Sarah, looking at the big picture there. Uh, Richard? I'm going short on Coinbase. You know, I think a lot of the good points made here, but look, they have the biggest, fattest profit margins they're ever going to have in their history right now. Nobody's, you know, competing with them really in terms of on-ramping the masses. But look, you look at this thing across time, their trading fees are going to get compressed, their custody fees are going to get compressed. And look, they totally missed giant market opportunities like NFTs, which did a billion and a half last quarter. Uh, I do think they're going to have a lot of success when it comes to these alternative coins. You look at their S1. 2019, 18% were these alternative coins from the big three. And then uh, 20, uh, we're talking about 44% that were these alternative coins. 2021, we're 50% or more. So I think we are still early innings, but it's not uh, Coinbase's to take. All right. Yeah, the competitors out there cracking. We've got Webull, Binance. Uh, obviously, Robinhood only does a few of those, but uh, you could pick up that Dogecoin on Robinhood. Uh, also to be noted, research on crypto, Mizari and Delphi Digital are the two kind of leaders there. So if you want to look at those altcoins, I would go there. Uh, anything and else? Predominantly, predominantly Masari, which is an underscore portfolio company. Buy or sell, brought to you by M1 Finance. Kate Crawford, author of Atlas AI, recently said in Wired Magazine that applications and side effects of AI are in urgent need of regulations and that investors need to ask themselves what the responsible stance is. Buy or sell, there should be a universal guideline set for AI technology, or will that just slow down the evolution of tech? Sarah, we want to hear your thoughts on so, this. So, I mean, it sounds like Kate doesn't know this, but there, uh, 30 countries have already endorsed the universal guidelines for AI. And we believe absolutely that anybody who's developing this very powerful technology needs to do it with the consideration of not violating human rights. Um, Glasswing recently signed the UN's um, moratorium on use of facial recognition for ma mass surveillance. There are a billion cameras in the world. That's one camera for every eight person. And we believe this trespasses on privacy rights. And one of our portfolio companies, uh, Armored Things, which has the ability to do facial recognition in crowds, has decided not to do that. Um, so that, that, that they're not violating those rights. Um, I think that regulation will follow the guidelines, so we also don't want to be on the wrong side of the law. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, Stash, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely push back on what Sarah's saying. I mean, so for some context, a lot of my research at MIT was on AI ethics. And I think while, you know, the universal guidelines are fine, to be honest, they don't really have, um, they don't have a ton of pull when it comes to actual um, impact um, and, and, and what that has on companies and how they perform. I mean, the, the on the there are two things on the um, the model training side, training a training a model with the 213 million parameters basically um, costs roughly 284 metric tons of carbon dioxide. So the um, the environmental impact is very high. Um, and on the, but on the ethical side, I mean, I, I don't think a ton of regulation should be put into place on the development, um, because the, this technology is iterating so much faster than, than governments can, can really keep, keep up. And, um, 
and implement regulation. Going over to Richard, buy or sell uh, on sure. this. Sure, I'm a buyer. I think uh, I have not read this book, but I agree with the fundamental premise, which is like all technologies, they should be steered for the good of many as opposed to the interests of a few people. And I think there's some real challenges with the inherent bias of these algorithms, right? Uh, they need to be monitored, understood. Uh, and I think the only way you could do it is forcing openness and how these companies you know, report and say how these models are making judgments. So I actually think an area that's interestingly investable around this is explainability. Can you answer why your model answered that way? Do you know why if it had a representative data set? Uh, and so while regulation slows down this a little bit, I think we got to understand how these choices are being made and how they affect the people around them. All right, solid points all around. Daniel, whose side are you taking? Yeah, I mean, I, I disagree with Stash. I, I do think that given the, the, the fast growth of the innovation, um, there's so much that need, we need to think about because sometimes innovation could actually cause exclusion, right? So when we think about the main concerns, some of the main concerns of, uh, of AI um, with, with surveillance, with facial recognition, with bias, you know, those are things that there should be guidelines in a way to ensure that uh, that we're, we're that we're we're being inclusive in the development of of AI. So I do think that I'm a buyer for this. That we should have guidelines. Stash, you're the odd man out. I'm going to come back. To yeah, you. yeah. I mean, what I would say there is, while I'm very for kind of the universal guidelines, which um, which they essentially touch on like the right to transparency, the right to um, like fairness, like um, the right to kind of obligation identification obligation. Um, while I'm bullish on that, I, I don't see kind of regulatory oversight on the actual development of models in particular as making sense at all. Um, because when it comes down to it, um, governments and um, governments and governing bodies of AI iterate really slowly. Um, and I think that'll just be so much more stifling to development than, than positive. Okay. All right. Any last thoughts? We're going into the cuts right now. So any last thoughts? You can pick up some uh, extra points. You know, give me a compliment or whatever. I mean, uh, one last thing that I'll add, I'll add here is that I think there's a there's a general consensus of 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 being some sort of guide um gui guidelines. But the challenge is, you know, who should actually be the one making the rules and who should be overseeing the rules. And I think those are important things to consider. And also that there are many unintended consequences of some of these AI algorithms that we that that don't come to pass until after they're out in the world. So it's it's better to think of them first. And the, the guidelines, not necessarily always regulation, but certainly things like the right to have your data protected um, or the, the right to know how your data is being used um, are, you know, things where some regulation has already been put in place. Okay, all right. Solid uh, first round. Unfortunately, we're gonna make the cuts for some people. Uh, Stash, you didn't make it. You got ganged up on, so it was a little unfair. So I apologize. You, you didn't make it to the finals. Uh, then it looks like Sarah, you you made it. Congratulations, you made it. Uh, and also Richard, you made it to the finals. Daniel, uh, sorry to keep break it to you. I, I, I was we were right there. You right there. How are you guys feeling? You think you're gonna get the belt? I was born. I was born for this. Come on. Bring it All on, right. Richard. <laughs> The Money Round, brought to you by First Republic Bank. Copyright laws trying to catch up with non-fungible tokens. Dogface208 recently asked Stevie Nicks permission to turn his clip into an NFT. She declined even though she was promised a portion of what was sure to be a landslide sale. 
How do you think the copyright issues play out long term and what will the smart copyright owners do? Richard, kick us off. Alrighty, um, interesting one. I think if you mess with the value chain, antibodies are gonna come out and there's a lot of people who are making a lot of money off of artists and they're gonna hate this. The cool part is I actually think artists are now being empowered not only with distribution channels, but the ability to own those copyrights. And I think what's pretty cool is for the first time in history, you can actually do what I would call perpetual royalties, meaning I can create a song and then I can transfer it, but I'll still get that royalty. So instead of my assets that I created being transferred behind closed doors, I can participate in it. I think it's a, a big win for artists. Sarah, your thoughts on this? I, I, I think short term, a lot of people who buy NFTs are going to be shocked that they don't have the copyrights to those NFTs and can't use them in the ways that they imagined they might be able to. Um, I think that there will be technologies that help people with the copyrights and the um, uh, the 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 management of NFTs and marrying those things. I think there's a company called Blue Box that's helping uh, artists to do that now to like sort of um, segment videos so that they can the copyrights can be split among them and NFTs can be sold. Another one called Monograph uh, that that helps people with digital copyright. Um, so I, you know, we're we're in early days, and it's something that I think just a lot of people aren't thinking about yet. Absolutely. A quick heads up: we're dropping an NFT next week uh, with Elliot Robinson and past winner. So keep an eye out for that. All right. If you guys want to bid on it, proceeds go to Girls Who Code, so nonprofit. Pretty good stuff. Nice feel-good story. All right. President Biden is expected to raise long-term capital gains tax to the wealthiest Americans to 43%, including a surtax. What is the most important things people should know about the new capital gains tax, and will there be long-term implications? Sarah, you start us Short term, I think the announcement of this has created some rockiness, and there might be some movement um, of people's assets, you know, either to take advantage of the, the, the capital gains tax of today, um, and we, we might see some ups and downs. But economists, um, Bloomberg recently uh, reported that economists predict that um, capital gains tax haven't really had any major impact on the economy in a long-term way. So I expect it's gonna settle down as much as, um, I hate to say that, <laughs> that it won't really affect the way people do business. Um, long-term uh, based on the taxes they pay. Richard, did Sarah miss anything here and you want to add some uh, facts? Uh, Sarah's coming with all the right facts. Uh, I really agree with what she's saying. I think, you know, I, I think there's two points. One is you have to think of the human and political psychology that's going on here. If I tell you I'm going to sell you something for a dollar and then I anchor you on that and then I back down to, oh, it's 95 cents, you'll feel pretty damn good about that. And so I think there's a little bit about uh, that kind of high water marking being set. And second, you know, I think this is the big step in a trajectory that we'll continue to see. I think we're gonna see across the course of our lifetimes get tax up to 50%. Uh, and I think beyond that percent, I think uh, the incentive structure gets totally messed up where half of the profit gets uh, that you've earned on your risk and your energy goes to the government, which is more than yours. I just don't think we'd ever cross that, but I think we're going that way. Okay, dropping some gems here, dropping some knowledge. We appreciate that. Step, a fintech banking app with 1.5 million users just raised $100 million from an all-star celebrity investor crew 
led by Charlie D'Amelio, Will Smith, Steph Curry, Jared Leto, The Chainsmokers, A-Rod, Justin Timberlake, and Remus Capital's own Josh Richards. What investors are on your dream cap table? Richard, who you got? Yeah, I think it depends on the business at the end of the day. I think all founders should have the right cap table on the board that re uh, represents you know, the business they're working on. If this was an AI company, I'd have Sarah on my board. Uh, but if we're talking generalists, I'd actually go with my own partner, Lily Lyman. She's one of the smartest people I know. Uh, great organization design has been a good partner to me. So she already is on my cap table and I go with her. Okay, Sarah, what do you got? Dream cap table. Well, now I, I mean, you know, yes, the dream team at Glasswing. But I was kind of thinking about Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> As a Bostonian, you know, he's he's a founder in a in a company in the NFT marketplace called Autograph. If I'm just dreaming, um, that would be kind of fun. Or maybe a real superhero like Robert Downey Jr., uh, who who just established a fund for sustainability. Again, that's not really my category, uh, but if we're thinking about I those are those are solid, and a real superhero is actually The Rock. But let's just categorize that. He's he's a real superhero. We on our side at Primetime VC, we have Baron Davis running point. Uh, we want uh, Serena Ventures involved. Serena Williams, Beyonce. We like Beyonce. She's got the moves. She's got the cash. She could be a partner with us. And then also Matt Conwell and Elliot Robinson of Bessemer. Those that's our starting five uh, for the winner of this show today. We're going to give it over to Sarah. Congratulations, you are Primetime VC winner. Thank you. Oh you earned it. You earned it. The final word. Wow. Well, I don't know what to say. I'm like the, um, the Oscar winner who didn't plan a speech because they never thought they'd win. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a total honor to do this with, with all of you. And Rich, thank you for inviting me because I think that I got the invitation from wow. you. And uh, I love this format. I think it's, it's really cool. And um, just a total honor. Thank you. Thanks again for watching Primetime VC. Check out the YouTube, subscribe, check out the podcast, send it to a friend. We're building a community here. So if you want to see another show, share it with somebody. Let's grow this together. We appreciate you and see you next week.